Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. If you don't know me, my name's Mason. I'm part of the team here. Come on, can we give it up for the worship team? Great job. You know, we just get to come and enjoy music. They come early and practice and are here during the week and all that kind of stuff. And so they deserve some applaud. Um, yeah, like I said, my name's Mason. I'm, I'm part of the team here at Resound. If I haven't met you yet, good to see you. Um, we're going to continue our story this morning around um, stories of hope. And so we're going to look at another character in the Bible and see what their life can teach us about hope and where hope comes from. This morning, I... Um, I actually was going to do a different character, but I couldn't shake this character off of my heart. So last minute, I just changed. I want to talk this morning about the Shumanite woman. Now, many of you may or may not have heard about the Shumanite woman. Her story is somewhat um, randomly just chucked into Second Kings as Elijah the prophet, the man of God at the time, is doing uh, all the stuff that he does. Her story is kind of just plonked there in, in chapter 4. Um, she's, for lack of a better word, she's just a normal person, if you get what I mean. She is not necessarily someone who we would say is super anointed or gifted or called like some of the other biblical heroes that we read about. And look, she is just an ordinary person minding her own business. And we find her story in in Second Kings. But she does something in her story that changes her story. And my prayer is, as we read her story and look at what she does, that it might change yours as well. Is that cool? Second Kings chapter 4, starting from verse 8, we'll read. We're going to read her whole story this morning. Forgive me, I forgot my glasses, so we'll see how we go. I might just make it up. You might get the Mason translation today halfway through, but I've got big font on the screen, so we'll see. It says this, One day Elijah went to Shuman, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know this man who often comes is a holy man of God. Let us make a small room on the roof and put a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp. Then he can stay there whenever he comes. One day Elijah came and he went up into his room and he laid there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shumanite woman. So he called her and she stood before him. And Elijah said to his servant, tell her you've gone through all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. Essentially she's saying, I don't need anything got what I need. There's nothing you can do. It's all good. Some other translations say that she was quite wealthy and well off. So she was like, don't need anything. I'm all good. I've got a home among my own people. But Elijah still asked, what can be done for her? So Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is very old. And if you know how babies work, that's an issue. (laughs) Then Elijah said, call her, call her back. And so he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Eliza said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Have you ever been so disappointed that when, when hope comes, you just can't be bothered hearing it? Because you kind of like heard it all before, seen it all before, done it all before, got the t-shirt. Sometimes we can be like that in church. Seen it all before, done it all before. If I get one more prophecy, I'm going to scream. 
because nothing's happened yet. That's where she's at. She's like, don't promise me something that you can't deliver on. I'm sick of being disappointed. Sick of being disappointed. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time she birthed, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. The child grew, and one day he went to his father, who was with the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. And his father did what every good father does and says, go and see your mom. <laughs> After the servant had lifted him and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. I know these are supposed to be stories of hope, but then he He died. She went up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God and then she shut the door and went out. You see, for most of us, when hope dies, that's the end of the story. And I get a sense that there's some people sitting here that you might have a broken promise, a broken dream, a broken heart, and you've laid it in a room, shut the door and went out. You haven't thought about it since, haven't done anything since. Maybe you've sat in bitterness for a while, been disappointed, been full of pain, full of hurt. For many of us, it's quite a natural thing for us to just close the story there so that we're not disappointed again. The Shumanite woman's story continues. She called to her husband and said, please let me go with one of your servants and take a donkey so that I can see the man of God and return quickly. And her husband says, why go to him today? What a husband. Clearly, he has not caught on to what has just happened. And he has no idea what is happening in this family situation. <laughs> Why go to him today? The, it's, not a, it's not the Sabbath. It's not the moon. He has no idea what is going on. And she just says, that's all right. That's all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow for me unless I tell you. So she set out and she came to the man of God near Mount Carmel. When he saw her from a distance, the man of God said, look, to his servant Gehazi, look, isn't that the Shumanite woman? Run to her and ask her, is she all right? Is her husband all right? Is her child all right? Is everything all right? She says, everything is all right, she said. That's a hope response. When everything is not all right, everything is all right. When she reached the man of God or at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi went to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? You ever felt that way? Did I ask you for this? She said, didn't I tell you not to raise my hopes? You have to understand now, Elijah was the man of God, the prophet at the time, but he was also just a man, right? And you can tell by his response that he's panicking a little bit. Elijah says to Gehazi, his servant, tuck in your cloak and your belt and take my staff and run, run, run as fast as you can and don't greet anyone along the way. And if someone greets you, don't answer them. Lay my staff on the boy's head. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. She's basically saying, listen, your stick and your servant's not going to cut it. You're coming with me. (laughs) Gehazi went on ahead and he laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi comes back to Elijah and told him, listen, the boy has not awakened. And so Elijah's probably pitting out. He's sweating at this point. When Elijah reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door, and the two of them prayed to the Lord. 
He shut the door on the two of them, sorry, and he prayed to, the Lord, prayed to the Lord. Then he got out of bed and laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, and he stretched himself out across the boy, and his body grew warm. Then Elisha turned away and walked back and forth. That's a man who's in stress, <laughs> walking back and forth. Nothing, I've tried the stick, hasn't worked. I've tried breathing, laying on him, that hasn't worked either. And um, now he's pacing back and forth. And then he gets a bright idea to do the same thing again. So he stretches his arms out upon the boy again. And the boy sneezed seven times into Elisha's face. <laughs> Good morning. And he opened his eyes. Elijah summoned summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shumanite woman, get her up in here. And then she came in and he said, take your son. And she came in, she bowed at his feet, she took the son and she went out. That's the story. I don't think anyone's under any illusions here, are we, this morning, that life is not always easy. In fact, life is sometimes quite difficult, quite hard. Life is unfair. Let that you know, print that on a poster and put it in your office for motivation during the week. Life is unfair. Life can be confusing. Life can be hard sometimes to decipher meaning from, for that is what the book of Ecclesiastes says when Proverbs says, live this way and it will go well for you. Ecclesiastes says, well, not always. Not always. So I think we can all relate to the Shumanite woman's story as I think it accurately depicts the roller coaster that is sometimes life. The ups and the downs and the twists and the turns and the unfairness and the, and the joy. You know, life has joys that you could have only have dreamed of, but it also has disappointments that you would have never thought of. What strikes me about the Shumanite woman's story is that it's almost like life is just happening to her. It's almost like, you know, she has no control. Life is just happening to her. She's going through ups, she's going through downs, and the only thing that she can control is her response to the things that are happening to her. All of that to say this, You do not get to choose your trials and temptations in life. You can make choices that will thrust you into trials and temptations in life, that's for sure. But even then, you don't necessarily get to choose what those trials and temptations will be. The only choice that we get in the matter is how we respond to the trials and the temptations in our life. When I was a um, teenager... I used to ride BMX a lot. Anyone ride BMX a lot? I like lived at the skate park. That was like my uh, thing growing up. One time I had all my friends over and we built a jump at the back of my uh, property. We used to live on 88 acres. It may surprise you, but I actually grew up on a horse adjustment. My mum broke in troubled horses. So we used to ride horses a lot. And we had at the back, we built this BMX track, right? And so one day we um, had all my friends over and we were leaving the house. And my mum said, hey, boys, don't do anything stupid. And, you know, teenage boys, why say that? Just assume that we're going to do something stupid. So I was just, you know, leaving the house. Don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything stupid. Do anything stupid. Do something stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Do something stupid. Okay, cool. I'm going to do something stupid. So anyway, we were jumping this jump that we built. And um, 
It was amazing and we were like, oh, we're getting like three feet of air. That's amazing. We're all just like hyping each other up. Really, the jump was probably about this big and just like not very impressive. But to us, it was impressive. But then it's somewhat, you know, wasn't that impressive anymore because everyone could do it. And it was like, whatever. And so my friend rolls over a 44-gallon drum and he goes, how about we stick the 44-gallon drum on top of the middle of the jump? And I said, I don't know. I don't know about this. I know. How about we dig it in a little bit so that it doesn't move if we hit it? So really, it just becomes like a big pillar in the middle of the jump for us to smash into. And everyone was like, now that's a good idea. And so anyway, we had this 44-gallon drum, and we just dug it in like that far into the jump. So it didn't move. It was like a solid rock. And we looked at it, and it was like the jump, and then it's like the drum, and then it was like the jump. And so you know where this is probably going, me being the champion, I was like, listen, I'll do it. Don't worry. I'll test it out. I'll do it. Everyone's like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm sure. I'll do it. So the boys make a line. There's a slow clap starts. I'm like, I've got this. I've got this. So I'm like, as fast as I can. Who knows that faster doesn't always equal higher. That's not really how it works. But I went as far as I could into the paddock and just as fast as I could. And then I hit the up ramp of the jump and I'm like, boom, I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. And then my wheel goes over the front. I'm like, I'm actually going to make it. Think about it every night and day. I spread my wings and, and I'm like, this whole montage is playing in my head. Like, this is amazing. And then I realized I wasn't riding a unicycle, but my bicycle had two wheels. The front one made it over. The second one I felt hit the 44-gallon drum. And as I did, I had an out-of-body experience. As I sat... And watch this idiot go from riding a bicycle to the bicycle, riding him. And then I snapped back into it and realized that that idiot was me. The bicycle rode me down the down ramp, into the dirt, into the rocks, and kept riding me a long way because I was going really, really fast. And so I was hurt. I had like bruises and scars all over my face. My leg was twisted up. Me and the bicycle became one that day. I was twisted in the bicycle and all that and and, and just gone down. And I thought I'd died, honestly. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. And I was like, oh my goodness, what has happened? But being a teenage boy, I didn't really know how to process what had just happened. And all my friends were waiting there. So I had a choice to make. What the heck am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because I start to cry. And teenage boys, they don't cry, and especially not in their front of their friends. And so I'm like, I start to cry, and I'm like, what am I going to do? And the boys are coming over. I'm like, before the boys come over, I'm going to run. So I just ran. Well, more hobbled because I was sick. I just ran. I ran as fast as I could, and I just started running home. My friends are yelling out, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. They said, why? I said, because I'm hurt. I'm going home. I get home. I walk into mom a bit nervous, like, oh, geez, my mom's going to be angry at me. She told me not to do something stupid. I walk in, I got cuts all over me. My mom just looks at me and goes, come here. What happened? I'll fix you. My question is to you, church, I say all that to illustrate this. When disappointments and hurts come in your life, where do you run? Where do you run? You see, the Shumanite woman in this story, she resists the very human temptation 
which is to put her dead hopes, her dead dreams, her pains, her disappointments in a room, close the door and sit and get bitter about it. For it is probably more natural for us as humans when we face disappointments to just sit and get bitter and get angry. But this is what the Shumanite woman does that I think changes her story. Instead of sitting, getting bitter and blaming Elijah who was the source of hope, she decides that she's going to run to the source of hope. But that goes against all of our human nature. I know it does. But let me ask you again then, where have you run to? Where have you run For I have come this morning to speak to those with broken promises, broken dreams, and broken hearts. For hope is not found in the absence of difficulties and adversities in your life. For that is not where hope is found. Can I tell you also that hope is not found just in fulfilled promises and fulfilled dreams and in the perfect life. For if that is where hope is found, what hope do any of us have? For we all have broken dreams. We all have broken promises. And none of us have a perfect life. So what hope do we have if that is where hope is found? But can I put to you this morning that hope can actually be found in the middle of your broken dreams, in the middle of your unfulfilled promises, in the middle of your broken heart. In fact, hope stands at the door of your broken heart and knocks, for the Bible says that hope is close to the broken hearted. Can I put to you this morning that hope is not an event? That hope is not the absence of adversities, but hope is a person. And this person died and rose again to become the hope that never dies. So that when hope dies in your life, hope still does not die. For hope is found in one person and one person only. His name is Jesus, for he is the hope of the world. And can I tell someone today that Jesus has given us more hope than just hope beyond the grave. He has given us hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope for the future, for he has set us free. For Jesus says in John 10, 10, that I have come to give you life and life in its abundance. Can I tell you something? Life and life in its abundance is not found in material things. And life and life in its abundance does not mean that you will have life without any trouble. For Jesus says in John, for I have told you this because in this world you will have many troubles. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So what is life and life in its abundance? Life and life in its abundance is having hope when there is no hope. Why? Because you know the one and the provider and the giver of hope. Life and life in its abundance is joy when you shouldn't have joy. Life and life in its abundance is peace that surpasses all understanding when everybody looks at you and says, how can you have peace? Life and life in its abundance is this. Although Jesus has never promised to make your life perfect, he does promise that you will never have to walk it alone ever again. For when the world is burning around you, there is another in the fire and his name is Jesus. So where do you run, church? Where do you run? If you've been in church a very long time, the question I always hear is, you know, how do I become spiritually mature? 
you know, I'm, I'm tired of just listening to messages about Jesus because I, I want to grow more. I want, I want to get spiritually mature. Can I tell you something? Spiritual maturity does not come from information. It doesn't. You can, you can learn all the Greek, all the Hebrew, all the whatever you want. You could memorize the entire Bible. That does not mean spiritual maturity. I'll tell you what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual, the spiritual mature are the ones that know, like the Shumanite woman, how to run to Jesus in difficulties and say, as long as the Lord lives and as long as I live, I am not leaving you. For that's what spiritual maturity looks like. Someone who can say, hey, no matter what's happening on my life, I'm running to Jesus, I'm holding on to Jesus, and I'm not letting go of Jesus. For information is not a rock that you can cling to in a storm. But Jesus is the rock that you can cling to in a storm. For information is not the cornerstone that you can build your life on. But Jesus is the cornerstone that you can build your life on. So I'll ask you again, where have you run? Run to Jesus today. Run to Jesus today. For hope is found in him. The Shumanite woman puts the boy down, lays the boy down, and runs to Jesus. Can I say, can I sidestep a little bit? Some of you need to lay stuff down. If she stayed holding the boy's hand, she would have never run to hope. So some of you need to lay stuff down. I know that sounds cryptic, but I've been doing this long enough to know that when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, you know. And so you need to lay some things down for often we always have altar calls to get filled, but some people need altar calls to get empty so that they can run to Jesus. The band can come back up because I just, I had a little bit more, but you know, I just feel something in the moment. So the band can come back up. You know, I get a sense that there's some people in here, and even while I was uh, talking, I have awakened frustration in you. For there are some people here, just like the Shumanite woman, who are saying, yeah, but did I ask for this? And if God is the God of the universe, then where was he? Where was he when my kids left? Where was he with the unanswered prayers? Where was he? Just get a feeling that there's some people here who are like, did I ask for this though? I understand what you're saying. We can run a hope and we can find hope in Jesus. But sometimes, you know, theological answers don't bring that many answers where was Jesus where's Jesus where was God in my own life where was God you know the thing that kept me I went to a Christian school but do you know the thing that kept me away from Jesus so long I haven't really shared this with many people but I'm going to share it about a year after my dad left my dad left and just disappeared Never saw him again. 
about a year after my dad left, I remember laying in bed and um, almost having like this panic attack of a realization that I was never probably going to see him again. And that he had gone, gone. He'd gone for periods before, but this was like, he'd gone, he's gone, gone. And all I can remember is when I laid in, in my bed as a young kid, I remember having this panic attack and all I can remember hearing is my breath. I can remember it. And so my argument was always when someone said, you know, God is good and all this kind of stuff. My argument was always like, yeah, but where was he? Where was he when I needed him the most? Where was he when I needed him the most? You know, when I come to know Jesus later in life and went to Bible college, I I learned something about the name of God that they used to use in Hebrew. So in Hebrew, you know, the Jews, they wouldn't even speak the name of God. It was so, like, it was to honour God that nothing could even be, you know, it was to show um, His sovereignty and His absolute power that they wouldn't even speak the name of God, but they would write the name of God. And in Hebrew writing, they don't use vowels, right? So when they would write the name of God, it was the only letter combination written on the page that wouldn't allow your tongue to move or your lips to touch when, when pronounced properly because it was to mimic breath. For God is the very air that we breathe. For as David says, when I went to the highest heights, there you were, God. And when I went to the lowest lows, there you were. For it was to mimic breath. The name of God in Hebrew is Yahweh. Yahweh. For it is to mimic breath. Watch. For even our very breath praises the name of God. But when I learnt that, do you know what I learnt? He was there. He was there when I was born and took my first breath. One day when I take my last breath, he'll be there. And in my moment of need, in my moment of need, unbeknownst to me, all I heard was his name. For he was there. For when you realise that God is always there, that Jesus is always there, and all He is waiting to do is for you to turn to Him, for He is in the very breath. For what arrogance of mankind to think that God is not here all the time, everywhere. You know, I love in church, sometimes we pray, God come, He's already here. The prayer should be, God, make us aware of your presence as we are aware of breath in our pain. Can I tell you something? When your deepest pains, he was there. 
in your highest heights. He is there. And when you understand that hope is there, you understand that anything that you face can be revived, restored, and brought back to life again. For the God that we serve is not bound by the physical things that we think He's bound by. For God can revive anything, restore anything, and He can bring anything back to life again. For He is there. So church, my question again to you is simply this. Where have you run? And let's provide an opportunity for you today, now, because I believe we leave here, we get busy, for you to run to Jesus. But not just run to Jesus. Hold Him. For He is there. And if all you can do is manage to breathe, for He is in your every breath. He is in your every breath. Would you stand with me this morning, church? Can we sing a thousand hallelujahs? It would be amazing. Church, I'm, I'm just going to simply do this. Is I'm going to sing this song again. I want you to worship Him and, you know, do business with Him and whatever. At some point in this song, you feel like God has been speaking to you, something in your life needs to break maybe, maybe you need to lay something down, maybe you need to just run to Jesus and, and, and grab a hold of him, maybe you were just reminded this morning that, do you know what Jesus, I'm giving you my whole life, no matter what it is, at some point during this song when you're ready, would you walk to the front so someone could stand and pray with you? For all through the Bible, Sometimes when we don't have the faith, we need to join with other people who have faith. So whatever it is, would you walk to the front? The reason why I asked you to walk to the front is this. There is nothing special about the front. It's nothing. But there is something in you physically moving towards God. For you cannot stay comfortable forever. For fear often disguises itself as as comfort and God has not given you a spirit of fear. There is something powerful that I've seen when people move physically from where they are and saying, Jesus, this is where I I am. Maybe distant from you, maybe far from you, maybe in need of you, maybe need to run back to you. I have these hurts and I have pains. There's something powerful in the physical act of walking forward and saying, this is where I am, but God, this is where I want to be. This is where I'm coming to. I'm laying my life down again. There's something in the action. There's something in the posture. You see, a lot of the times to have an encounter with Jesus or to have Jesus transform you from the inside out, you have to actually get past your flesh. For our flesh is our biggest obstacle when it comes to God. For even Jesus, when He went to His own hometown, couldn't perform the miracles in people's lives because of their flesh. They knew Him. They stepped back. They put walls up. What hope do we have if we have to come to church and hold walls up with each other and with Jesus? So I don't know what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about. But if you know you need to respond, as we sing this song, just respond. And don't wait because your brain will talk yourself out of it. If you know you need to respond, then as soon as we start singing, respond, there's going to be people down here to just lay hands on you and pray with you. 
disbelieve whatever you're believing to believe with you, to stand with you. For you could have an encounter, like I said at the start, one moment with Jesus could change everything. Come on, Ben, why don't we sing? When you're ready, when you're ready, why don't you come as we sing this song? Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.